Hi, welcome to the Trauma Thrivers podcast. Delighted to have you with us. I'm Lula Bentz, your host, a psychotherapist, a trauma expert, and a survivor myself. Lovely to have you with us. The Trauma Thrivers podcast is for anybody who has been through any sort of developmental trauma or who has complex PTSD. This podcast aims to help educate, inspire and support those of us that are on a trauma healing journey. We've got stories, steps and various solutions to trauma to help you heal. If you'd like more information or tips or tools or strategies, please go to traumathrivers.com. You can also find this podcast on my YouTube channel, Lula Bent's Trauma Thrivers. If you'd like to join our community of thrivers, please find us on Facebook under Trauma Thrivers. Hi, welcome to the Trauma Thrivers podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. And tonight, I am very delighted to introduce you to a real podcast king, dare I say, called Guy McPherson. Guy runs the Trauma Therapist podcast and he's been doing it for years and he is an expert in the trauma field. And if you haven't checked out his podcast yet, I really suggest that you do so. But here's Melanie Curtis and I interviewing Guy for the Trauma Thrivers podcast and also for our Facebook group. If you're not already a member of our Facebook group, we'd love to see you over there at Trauma Thrivers. Take care for now and hope you enjoy this episode. Good evening, Trauma Thrivers. Welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, We've got sparkly jumpers on again. So red. Does that count? It counts. It counts. (laughs) Guy, have you got any Santa Claus or anything on your doing the angel thing? We love it. As you can clearly see. Yeah, lovely, lovely. (laughs) Listen, we're really delighted that you joined us tonight. Obviously, I've been a huge fan for a long time. So I feel a little bit starstruck having you, you know, in the Trauma Thrivers group. You're talking about me? Yeah. Oh, please. Talking about you. Talking about you. Who's she talking about? Yeah, you, you. (laughs) Let me tell everybody who you are if they don't know you. So Guy has a PhD. He's also a husband, a father of two, and holds a doctorate in clinical psychology. In 2014, while working at a clinic in Northern California, assessing and treating young individuals with early psychosis, Guy founded the Trauma Therapist Project with the goals of raising awareness of trauma and creating an educational and supportive community for new trauma therapists. And for anybody watching, if you haven't signed up for the Trauma Therapist Project, Uh, project and podcast. It is amazing. Um, The Trauma Therapist Project has now grown to include the podcast, which is being listened to in more than 160 countries around the world, and Trauma Therapist 2.0, which is an online membership community specifically dedicated to educating and inspiring new trauma therapists. Guy's also got the Trauma Therapist newsletter, which is a monthly subscription 
filled with information and inspiration for trauma therapists everywhere. Guy's focus, which is what really we want to speak to him about tonight, is on honoring and cultivating the authenticity, vulnerability and courage of trauma therapists. Now, if you're not a trauma therapist, because only half the group is, we're still going to be talking to you tonight because we're going to be talking about your own therapy and you finding a trauma-informed practitioner and so it will be relevant so don't go away welcome guy cool thanks lou thanks for that um yeah and the, this this topic just doesn't pertain to trauma therapists or coaches obviously this and i think um this is one of the things that really excites me about it is just if you're a human being yeah. this is important yeah. You know, and, and if you're someone who ex has experienced trauma and you're, you're uh, looking for a therapist or you're undergoing therapy, obviously this is really crucial too. Yeah. Amazing. So where should we start? Mel, do you want to ask the first question of Guy? Um, well, I think something that, you know, we always like to kind of lead with is, is our audience sort of getting to know you a little bit. Um, and so we just like to ask what led you into the trauma field to start with? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. You know, when I um, was really young, when I was in like, I think fifth grade, sixth grade, I was bullied in my life. And that experience just jacked me up. It, it, it impacted my self-esteem. It impacted my, uh, the, the trajectory of my life of how I showed up in relationships and so forth. And I didn't realize that until I was a lot older, yeah. you know, and that was a, a kind of an unconscious driver for me to want to help quote unquote, help other people. Um, when I got into graduate school, I knew I wanted to focus on trauma. I knew I felt as though I could walk into that, that circle and be with someone who had experienced trauma and sit there and be, a, and, and listen and be a witness. I felt that I could do that. I didn't know if I could, but I felt like, like I could do that. And that was one of the things that, that really drove me to, to, to do this and to, and to get into the field. Um, do you want me to stop there? No, I, I was fascinated that you started with kind of psychosis. So did you do clinical psychology and then you started working with psychosis? Exactly. Something I've been through. So exactly. I, I'm always fascinated by, by psychosis really and trauma and the link. Yeah, yeah. And there, and there is a link. When I got into, when I got out of graduate school, uh, that was my first job. Uh, we were treating young kids who were showing early signs of, signs of psychosis and not surprisingly, or maybe surprisingly for some of your uh, viewers and listeners, a lot, 99.9% .9 of those individuals, those young kids who were showing early signs of psychosis. And when we talk about that, just briefly, we're, we're talking about, you know, maybe hearing whispers and hearing voices or seeing shadows Um that you, you're kind of wondering whether they're real or not. So those are kind of the symptoms of early psychosis. But 99% of those individuals had experienced trauma. Yeah. And part of that job at that point 
was taking referral calls from parents, from teachers, from other therapists to see if their young kid would be appropriate for our program. And, you know, we would have this list of questions that we would have to ask, you know, what's the behavior been like? What's the, uh, the arc of the behavior? Has it been a decrease in functioning, blah, blah, blah. And when we got around to, you know, asking about, well, have they experienced trauma? And a lot of people are like, no, I'm haven't been sexually assaulted or raped or haven't been in a car accident or I haven't been in combat. Right. Mm -hmm. That's oftentimes people, when you say that word, that's what not everyone, but a lot of times people associate that with trauma. But Mm -hmm. when we got, when we dug in there, you found out that, well, there was witnessing to domestic violence. There was X and Y and Z and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I got so, I was blown away that, you know, and kind of understandably, a lot of parents don't understand that or realize that, but I got blown, I was blown away that all, so many of these kids were experiencing trauma and it was going undetected and unnoticed. And that was, that was how I started, started the podcast, wanted to get the word out. Yeah. And so the podcast started and then you've, you've had something like over 500 episodes, which is a fair few, right? Right. and and mainly with trauma experts. I mean, you've you've interviewed some of the best trauma people in the world, I would say. Right. And and initially my goal was to, you know, when I was were at this job, I was working, um, I was doing a lot of commuting and like an hour and a half each way. And I was listening to podcasts and I was thinking to myself, you know, about my clients, you know, why aren't they listening to me? Um, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not cut out for this. Um, And at the same time, I was listening to a lot of podcasts about entrepreneurs doing, just doing it, you know, doing incredible things with their lives and creating the life they wanted. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be amazing if I had a, a mentor sitting beside me in the passenger seat who, while I was commuting, could help me with my clients. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time I, I said, um, uh, I, I was going through sensory motor psychotherapy training. Janina Fisher was, was the primary teacher there. And I thought, well, wouldn't yeah. it be awesome if I had her there? Anyway, so I put two and two together and said, what if I started my own podcast? I'd never done anything like this before. And the goal, my goal was to interview who I thought would be master trauma therapists, right? Yeah. And um, initially it was that it was to bring on these really super seasoned people to help other people like myself who are just starting out. Um, But things shifted, you know, and it has become not just about bringing on Pat Ogden or Janina Fisher or whomever, um, but bringing on people who are passionate about helping others who've been impacted by trauma. That's what it is for me. Yeah. Lovely. So it's developed and kind of morphed. And in all those years of listening and, and your own training, this is a massive question, but it kind of hopefully leads into where we want to go is what what are the most valuable kind of skills or things that you've learned about trauma and, and what helps to heal it? Yeah, it this does lead perfectly into it because when I first started, you know, when I was in graduate school, 
and I got out of graduate school, you know, had this degree and I felt like I needed to be um, and present myself like a psychologist, um, you know, you can imagine, I don't know, for, for me, it was, I had to be proper. I had to have all the answers, Yeah. right? I had to have all the answers. I had to co be composed. And again, this is how I defined it and internalized it. Um, and it, it, it was so kind of confining to me because, well, let me take a step back. When I, and also when I got into graduate school, I felt like I needed to just cram information and knowledge into my head that that was going to make me the best trauma therapist I could become. You know, what book do I need to read? What workshop do I need to go to? What yeah. teacher do I need to talk to that's going to help me do this? Because I, I had gone back to school when I was in graduate school, I was like 36. So I was kind of, you know, a non-traditional student. I had been in therapy. I thought I kind of had that down. I thought I had my inner work down. I don't need to do that. I mean, I understood the, the importance of it, but I didn't realize really how crucial it was, not just uh, for trauma treatment and healing, but also as a person seeking help. It wasn't until I started doing the podcast and I started interviewing people and one of the questions I would always ask was if you could share an early clinical error and what you learned from it. And I thought that I would be getting responses like, well, you know, this technique didn't work, or I forgot about that technique, or, you know, I, I, I forgot uh, Pat Ogden's page 222 of her book or Bessel van der Kolk's book. But it wasn't that. It was more and more people were sharing that they weren't able to show up as themselves. Yeah. They felt they couldn't just simply be themselves. And that in turn ruptured the, the relationship. And mm -hmm. that was really eye-opening for me. Yeah. I, I find that, that fascinating actually. And, and I guess a lot of the reason why some of the reason why I went into coaching as opposed to, to therapy, because I think there is that there as a therapist, I think there's this need to be seen. There's very much this kind of stigma sometimes within the, the therapy world to be seen. I remember, you know, early on in my therapy, you know, my heat, my own healing journey, um, one of my therapists telling me how, you know, she doesn't wear jewellery or makeup or anything because she needs to present, you know, as a kind of blank canvas. And I think I must have asked her a question that led to her telling me that. Um, and I always remembered that because I remember thinking when I started down this line sort of for my career, thinking, I don't want to be like that. You know, I want to be able to to show up in my red jumper or in my whatever it is mm -hmm. um, and, and to give to give my clients a, a piece of me. So um, so that I find that really, really interesting. And um, and actually, I wanted to ask Lou. Um, Can I just what, say something about that point? Yeah, as well? yeah, because yeah. I, I really resonate with Guy and I and I feel like, well, I also feel like what therapist really ever feels or coach or 
somebody in our shoes, the other side, ever feels like they know enough or they're good enough. Mm. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe they are out there watching. If they are, please let me know, because <laughs> it feels like it's an eternal journey. But I think gone, I mean, 20, 25 years ago, I agree that the therapist, you know, had to hide photos and had to wear certain things, maybe some, but that psychodynamic, psychoanalytical, slightly reserved, we, we've all learned, thank God, through Porges and Polyvagal and Connection and Dan Siegel and interpersonal neurobiology that actually we don't have to be any of those things, do we? Right. We just have to be and connect with the client as ourselves right. in our humanity so is that something that that you've learned the more the relational model right and and the the, the problem i had with that was what do, what do you mean why am i in school you know what do you what, and the the whole knowledge piece was so important to me because when i was younger i felt I got the message and I kind of internalized that I wasn't smart enough. And so I needed to rely on that, that piece. And the, the issue that I had was that when I first started really integrating what you, what you both are talking about here, um, I was scared because I felt that I wasn't, I wasn't just who I was, wasn't good enough. And that to me is kind of the, the, my mesh message right now is the, and again, I want to couch everything I'm saying here with the understanding that boundaries are important and ethics are important. Of course they are. I'm not, and, and knowledge is important. I'm not saying forget what you've learned, but rather than clutching your, your suitcase of knowledge, so clinging onto it so tightly when you work with a client, which is what I did, rather than doing that, just have it there, you know, at, at the ready. And th there's so much power in simply, uh, and this isn't always easy, being who you are, you know, honoring the, the, the peaks and valleys of our, of our story, our own story and our own experiences. And that requires, right, doing your own inner work, looking at your own traumas, looking at your fears, looking at your biases, and being able to um, sit with those. Because if you're working with someone who's been impacted by trauma as a therapist or coach, you are going to be triggered. It, it's, it's unquestioning, right? It's a matter of when. But I just, let me just say this, and I'll stop. Someone, one of my guests said to me, this is so important, what we're talking about here, you know, this, this uh, honing of authenticity, uh, being able to show up as who you are, not as Guy the therapist or Guy the clinician, um, but, but Guy, being able to do that is not just beneficial for you as a therapist or a coach, but it allows the client, the, the thriver to, to know that they are making a difference in someone else's life, that they're, that they're being, that their presence is impacting someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I hear that so loud and clear 
guy and I and I think that you know authenticity and, and connection are are two things that you know are for me as a practitioner my highest values but also for me as a as a human being um so you know it, it is it is that kind of integration of of both of them with the boundaries and all the other all the other good stuff that goes in it and I think what would be what I'd like to hear from you and also from Lou actually is how trauma impacts the ability to be able to to express that authenticity or to have that authenticity in the first place right right you want to go Lou I can go first. I mean, I think it I think it impacts authenticity because I think if when we're traumatized, you know, we spend a lot of our time in our adapted selves or our parts or our critical parent or our wounded child. And we don't have a sense often of who our real self is mm -hmm. underneath all of that, who our adult self is. So I think, you know, it's very difficult to be vulnerable. It's very difficult to be courageous if we're not tapped into our adult. And sometimes the layers are that we, you know, we think that we are the not good enough ones, or we think that we are the unlovable ones rather than those are our child parts or our adapted teenage parts. And actually the most important thing for me to get to authenticity is that that comes through your adult. You know, you can start to be more authentic when you realize that, yeah, these parts of you are just parts of you, but they're not really who you are at your core. Mm -hmm. That's my quick tip. Yeah, yeah, well said. And, and, and um, you know, uh, also, uh, it, it, I think it depends on the trauma that a person has experienced too. You know, if we're talking about interpersonal trauma, yeah. which is sometimes, not all the times, but oftentimes done in a, uh, under the guise of trust and safety, um, it, it's very difficult for someone to, to have that trust again, to have that self-trust again. Um, the other issue here is a lot of times therapists, coaches, whomever, the helping people, get into this field because of very laudable reasons, right? They want to help. We want to help. We want to fix. We want to cure. We want to prevent. We want to take the, the take away the pain. And, you know, someone said to me, one of my guests said to me, you know, when I said this, you know, and she wasn't talking to me personally, but she said, how dare you, you know, think that you can take away someone that is, is even your job to yeah. take away someone else's pain. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you know, isn't wow. that what you're supposed to no. You know, mm -hmm. it, the, the, she said to me, that person who's come into the therapist's office has more, most likely started their healing journey way before they got to you, yeah. you know, and to be able to, to be able to be a, a witness, to be able to sit and listen and be a, be a guide in the sense is so powerful, but it's not the easiest thing for a lot of people. It's very challenging because people don't, you know, when you, when you talk about a therapist or you talk about a coach, you know, and then you say, you suggest, well, you know, th that the, it's important for them to do their own inner work oftentimes. And for me, this was for me, it's like, wait a minute, 
I got to do my own stuff. I'm here to help this person. Why do I have to do my own stuff? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, you're not able to show up as who you are. It's look, when we're talking to someone, you know, as a human being, when we, when we meet someone who is just authentic, they're just themselves, they're comfortable. We are so we're amazed. We're attracted to them because they're just in the moment. It's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you both, but I mean, having had about 25 years of different therapists, maybe more, you know, I've always felt with mine and the people that I've done the most healing work are the people that can hold the space in their own embodiment Mm -hmm. and that none of my feelings or somatic stuff phases them yeah absolutely absolutely I think that I was talking funnily enough having a conversation with a friend about this just the other day and and I think you know one of the things that I have noticed about being a coach is the ability because of the experience the life experience that I've had the fact that my clients can tell me anything and they will never see that shocked, <laughs> that, that shocked or surprised look that most people will take as judgment right. is, is just so beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that, that it's, you know, if we can, like, like Lou was saying, you know, we, if we can just hold that space um without our clients feeling judged in any way um I think that is hugely hugely powerful because that is essentially what they're healing from right I agree I totally agree that that feeling of uh judgment is is so is so uh well I should say not having that feeling of like you're being judged is so crucial um to that healing process um and, and that that leads me into guy what do you think cuz i i mean you know what do you think about vulnerability and i'm going to a bit more because i i know that you that you think highly of vulnerability and i'm going to speak on both ends of it having at times in the last couple of decades at the very right moment and for the benefit of the client or who i'm speaking to i've shared you know, and in some therapeutic worlds, that's not okay. And then also having worked in a treatment center in 12-step recovery world more, I found sometimes that there are people that overshare, you know. So I just wonder what we think about therapist vulnerability. And in fact, you know, vulnerability on the healing journey full stop, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would make a distinction between vulnerability and self-disclosure too, Okay. because I, and I also think it's context. It's all context. Yeah. You know, I think it's important for um, therapists to be able to be vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, And what does that mean? You know, uh, I I mean, for me, it means being able to um, feel, to Mm -hmm. show that. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that's really important and it might not be important for other people. So I, I think we have to, we have to set that too. Um, and I think for, for therapists, they have to be able to determine what that person sitting in front of them, that client is able 
to 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 accept is yeah. willing to accept is needed is necessary yeah. but it, i think this all comes back to um being able to be a human being yeah that that's, i think that's very powerful to and again this is this is where the art comes in of 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 therapy is knowing when <laughs> to 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 reveal that to disclose that to show that and when not to um but i think um it 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 it's very powerful to know that you know if if i'm a client i if for me it I want to feel that the person that the, if I'm sitting in front of a therapist or if I'm sitting in front of a coach, whoever, that that's a real person. Yeah. And that might mean that's going to mean different things to different people. Yeah. You know, so I think that's important, but I think, you know, I think there's a certain level. There's a, there's a baseline of vulnerability and self-disclosure that I think in this time, in this age, um, people resonate with, yeah. you know, it, when I say being real, let me just read something. Um, there's this amazing quote by uh, Eugene Gendlin, who was the founder of or creator of focusing one of the uh, techniques, and he was a philosopher. But he said, he said, the essence of working with another person is to be present as a living being. And that's lucky because if we had to be smart or good or mature or wise, then we would probably be in trouble. But what matters is not that. What matters is to be a human being with another human being and to recognize the other person as another being in there. And, and to me, that is it. And, and that wasn't it when I first started. I, I thought, you know, that you had to have, you know, you know, all those techniques ready to go. And again, I'm not saying you don't need that knowledge, but there's just something so profound about being in the presence of someone uh, who is able, like you were saying, Mel, is able to listen and without judgment and to sit in that fire in a sense and to not even say it, but to embody it's going to be okay. That, that, that's very profound, I think. So for therapists that um, are part of your network, Guy, what kind of um, advice do you give to them about their own trauma healing and their own, you know, what they can do to, to be that very open listener embodied and there? Are there... Are there some things that you suggest to them that are good for their own personal development? I mean, my suggestion, and which uh, many of my guests have, uh, you know, echoed, is to do your own work, to look yeah. at your, be willing to look at your own traumas, to to explore your own experiences. You know, I talked about my own bullying when I was younger. It wasn't really until I started doing the podcast and other, my guests were talking about their own experiences that I really grew, became comfortable with, with speaking about it yeah. and um, understanding, uh, despite the fact that I had been in therapy, understanding the, the, the real impact of it, that, that is, that is crucial to be yeah. able to do that, yeah. um, to, to understand that, 
you know, it's not a, um, not a matter of, of uh, if, but when you will be triggered and to have done, you know, your own inner work such that you, when you are triggered, you're not dealing with that, you know, you're, you're able to uh, maintain a certain amount of composure and also, you know, really defining, getting clear on why you're doing this work for whatever, whatever reason it is, you know, whether it's to help, to fix, to cure, and to get clear on that and to understand that, um, you know, a large part of this is, is not about you, yeah. you know, it's, and, and again, everything I'm saying, I, I was guilt, guilty of in a sense, you know, I, I really wanted to, uh, help and to fix and to cure and didn't understand that oftentimes uh, that's not the journey the, the you know that's not the therapist's job is to take away that pain in a sense yeah I think we have to look at our own codependency as therapists and why we went into the work and I, you know I particularly resonate that the beginning of my you know, career in, in therapy. I mean, I, I think I would have been labeled a chronic codependent, chronic, you know, and, and you have to do the work of, of letting go because that's really not in service, is it, to, to anybody? And also because I think people can feel that controlling element or that you're invested in how fast they get better or when they get better. Right. And that is just so unhelpful. Right. Because that's a reflection on you. Yeah, right? totally. Right. Totally. Right. Yeah. I think the, the taking it personally when people don't, I, I mean, I, I think my, you know, my first kind of insight into helping others was, was probably through a 12 step program. So well before I ever, you know, got into, you know, being a practitioner myself, um, you know, sort of being a sponsor in a 12 step program. And I, at that point, I hadn't really done the work that I needed to do. So if I had a, you know, a sponsee and they relapsed, like, my God, it was all my fault. And what didn't I do? And then I could take it personally. Why didn't they call me? It must be, you know, all of that stuff um, that goes on that I think if, I had a, you know, had clients at that stage. I mean, it would have just been a horrible mess. <laughs> That's honesty for you. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so for anybody listening, that's not a therapist or a coach, if they were choosing or when they are choosing a therapist or a coach, do you have any tips on what they should be looking yeah. for? Yeah. Don't give up. It's hard. It's, it's, yeah. it's hard to find a therapist you connect with. Yeah. And oftentimes people go to a therapist or uh, talk to a therapist on the, on the phone or whatever, and it doesn't work out. It doesn't feel good. And then they're like, well, therapy isn't for me. Mm -hmm. Don't give up. There is someone out there that is, is going to be a good fit for you. And if, if you don't feel it, go to the next one. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really important is to trust your gut in this. Um, you know, you know, find that courage to trust yourself because it's not easy. It's not easy um, to, to, to have that gut sense that this is right. And I would just say, 
don't stop until you get that because once you do it's 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 going to feel amazing it's going to be like magic yeah and and that's just the magic of of that genuine connection really yeah. you know yeah um, and what does it feel like and um, sort of from the other side so you know if we if we were sort of re- reversing the question because i think you know as a as a practitioner sometimes you know we can get a client that that comes to us and we're oh I don't know so you know again like what you know what's the kind of reverse of that and you know how, what what should we be looking for Lou you want to respond to that first or well I I will respond to that but what, what I I suppose I will say is that it's not it's never my job to actually really I don't ever say um unless it's completely out of my realm of specialism, I don't usually say to somebody, I'm not going to work with you because also I feel a bit like any other relationships. Sometimes after a while, you can really gel into a relationship with somebody that initially um, it might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I've often found two or three or four sessions in, you actually can warm to somebody and they can warm to, to you. So I, I don't know. I personally, I've got to be honest, in two decades with people, there have only been one or two people that I've really felt I, I'm not the right, I cannot work with you. And in which case I, I have referred them on, but it's very unusual for me. Um, I mean, obviously some of my clients and some people I've worked with, there's like a hundred percent connection and I feel very warm and very, yeah, very, very deeply heart connected to, um, and, and others maybe 70 or 80%. But for me, I, I always feel the connections there on some level. Maybe that's a cop out, but that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my my suggestion, to, if therapists are feeling that, is to uh, again make a distinction between you know whether the the scope of treatment is maybe maybe out of out of your zone. Yeah. That might yeah. be one thing. But you know what you're talking about, Lou. I I completely agree with too um so yeah yeah. they've they you know in a way I always still believe that you know we're not the guru ever and that we are simply the mirror you know we're simply the mirror and that really safe connection and sometimes it takes a while to feel that safe connection doesn't it guy because as you were saying earlier, you know, people have never had a safe connection in some instances. Mm-hmm. So to learning just to trust us, you know, takes, takes time. Right. Yeah. So what next for you? We know that the, the podcast is, is it 30,000 downloads a week or something, something phenomenal, or has it gone up even more than that now? Um, a week is about 40 yes. um, yeah <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot 30 it's a lot so one i'm doing about 130,000 downloads a month so you point. are educating a lot of trauma therapists which is just phenomenal 
uh, hope I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, no, well, you're I mean, doing hope, something, right? I'm doing something. Yeah. You know, I think I, 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 I want to inspire people to feel like they can do this and they can be themselves to do yeah. this. Yeah. Um, and I want to get the word out about, about trauma is happening. It's yeah. going on. It's crazy. But you see, I think trauma is going on everywhere and everywhere. in a lot of people. And I also wish in a way that we'd kind of knock out the mental health label uh, and, and even the addiction or the eating disorders or the depression, mm. and the anxiety. And we would just treat the trauma, mm -hmm. you know, or the dysregulation in the nervous system and that you know, treatment centers and therapists and all of us were trained in trauma so that we all know how to deal with it and, right. and spot it compassionately in each other. Right. I agree with that. Um, One day, I, hey. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting uh, proposition. You know, what you're saying is to, to, to kind of supplant the mental health label with what, trauma? Yeah, because what does mental health mean? Right, and trauma, right. we, we know mostly is a dysregulation because of a lack of co-regulation and attachment. Yeah. Just nobody knows that they're dysregulated and that those right. early experiences. But if we could change the field, mm. I mean, Mel and I are organizing with some people here in the UK, hopefully next year in September, a trauma conference, and we've got some big speakers over here speaking in the addiction and the mental health fields so that we can start to get people to go, well, actually, it's not depression that I've got or an anxiety disorder or it's it's underlying trauma. And I need to, right. to look at that. Right. Well, of course, uh, 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 Gabor Mate is pretty famous for for saying that, you know, yeah, it's it, just underlying bit. addiction. There's always trauma. Yeah. No, you know, um, yeah. so when will the world listen? Yeah, it's listening more. It, I think it is slowly. It's okay. slowly listening. So yeah. and what next for you? Uh, what next for me? Well, the newsletter is my my latest um, uh, focus, you know, putting together, uh, again, information that not only uh, provides, I think, support, uh, but also inspiration for for therapists and uh, people in the field. And that's it. Um, I, I don't know what is going to be in the new year. I'm thinking of kind of shifting things a little and I don't, I, I don't know what that's going to look like. But, um, you know, I just love doing what I'm doing. I this is, you know, you guys got me going. You can I, yeah, hopefully you can feel we it. like I, that. We like so, that. I love, I love uh, uh, talking about this. Well, so, yeah. we love talking to you. Appreciate so it. Thank you so much for your time. Mel, have we got any questions or have you got anything else to ask of Guy before we say thank you and good night? We've got some comments, but, but no questions. So um, yeah, if you're watching it on replay um, and you have any questions then just pop them in and Lou and I will as ever come and, and reply to you and yeah just let us know yeah and in the meantime guy thank you 
Thank you for your time and energy. And we hope you're going to come into the Trauma Thrivers group more often. We'll try and, yeah, grab you back at some point, hopefully. I I appreciate it. It was an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope it helped you in some way. And I really hope to see you back here soon. If you have anything to share on today's experience or podcast, please nip over to the YouTube channel or the Facebook group Trauma Thrivers and let us know there.